Next, we continue with another show that it was Halloween. This is a comedy done a week or so after Halloween. As we go back to A Date with Judy, this is all about the haunted house from November 6, 1945. Here, Amos and Andy at 6 tonight. Night and day, at home or away, always carry Tums. T-U-M-S. Tom's famous quick relief for acid indigestion presents A Date with Judy. Hello? Hello, Judy, this is Curly. Curly Whiteman, I know exactly why you're calling. You do? I most certainly do. Your sister Tootsie wants you to find out if I'm home or not. She wants to gloat if I haven't got a date. Uh, Judy... It just so happens I could have had a date if I'd wanted one. I just didn't want one. Do you know what I think? I think your sister Tootsie is a little stinker. That's what I think. Yeah, isn't she? (laughs) But she didn't ask me to call you. She didn't? Well, then, why are you calling? I want to speak to Randolph. Oh. Curly... Is your sister Tootsie home? Yeah. Well, as long as we're both dateless, ask her if she wants to go to the movies with me. That's Judy, folks. Judy Foster, the lovable teenage girl who is close to all our hearts. Your date for the Reach Tuesday at this same time is arranged by the makers of Tums, famous quick relief for acid indigestion. And ladies and gentlemen, acid indigestion just doesn't make sense. About the time you're all set at a football game, in the movies, or with a good book, Socko, you get a mean spell of heartburn or acid upset. You just never know when acid indigestion is going to hit you, so do as millions do. Night and day, at home or away, always carry Tums. Tums are easy to take. No mixing or stirring, you don't even need water. At the first sign of heartburn and that uncomfortable, overstuffed feeling, just slip one or two pleasant-tasting Tums in your mouth, same as you would candy mints. Almost instantly, your acid indigestion is relieved. There are many imitations of Tums, but no substitute for them. So get the genuine Tums, T-U-M-S, Tums for the tummy. Ten cents a roll, all drugstores, three-roll package for a quarter. Well, it's late afternoon as we look in at the foster house. Judy has just come home and is excitedly telling her mother and kid brother Randolph all about a big event in her life. Oh, Mother, this is just about the most exciting and absolutely thrilling night of my life. I just can't wait until it's 8 o'clock. What happens at 8 o'clock? Got a date with Van Johnson or something? Mother, please tell Randolph not to speak so flippantly about a sacred thing like Van Johnson. (laughs) Randolph, please don't speak so flippantly about a sacred thing like Van Johnson. Okay. I still want to know what happens tonight at 8 o'clock. Our sorority is having its annual initiation, and Barbara Mason is going to be initiated, and I want to see that she gets everything that's coming to her. What do you mean, dear? Well, I was initiated last year, and I was never so miserable in my life. The things they did to me, and I just can't wait to see the same things happen to Barbara. That's sisterly love for you. But, Judy, what have you got against Barbara? Oh, she tried to steal Oogie away from me last spring. That's not stealing, that's petty larceny. <laughs> well, what will they do to Barbara at the initiation? I can't tell you. It's an innermost sorority secret. Now, Judy, I want to know. What do they do? Well, I really shouldn't tell, because I was sworn to the most utter secrecy, and I'm not supposed to reveal the innermost secrets of the sorority even to my closest friends. Well, we're not your closest friends. We're only your family. <laughs> We won't tell, dear. Cross my heart. Me too. Well, all right. In the first place, they take the neophyte, that's the freshman, down to the Higgins house. The Higgins house? That's supposed to be haunted. Oh, don't be silly, Randolph. And then they make her walk in blindfolded and tell her she's entering the palace of death. It's awfully spooky. (laughs) Judy, I may be a little dense, but I don't see why you have the ceremony in such a gloomy place. But, Mother, it's a perfect place for it. It's so mysterious and everything. The freshmen are always scared out of their wits. Is that good? Well, of course it's good. Honestly, it's the most impressive thing you ever saw. Just a dim candle glowing in the center of the room, and everyone dressed in their black ceremonial robes and hoods. Isn't that adorable? Randolph. (laughs) 
And then the freshman meets the supreme high keeper of the sacred owl. Who is the supreme high keeper of the sacred owl? I am. That is, this year I am. Last year it was Tootsie Whiteman, and I was scared to death when I went to meet her. Well, it sounds awfully silly to me, Judy, scaring each other to death that way. But, Mother, don't you understand? That's the whole idea. When a neophyte is very scared, it makes it easier to impress into her the importance of the mystic rites of the sorority. And it also teaches her respect for her elders. I don't notice that you have any more respect for Tootsie. That's not because of the initiation. I don't have any respect for Tootsie anyway. <laughs> well, it all sounds very important. My goodness, I wonder where your father is. Well, I certainly hope he gets here soon so we can have dinner. Our ceremony begins at 8 sharp. <laughs> Hey, Emerson, for Pete's sake, step on it, will you? It's late. Okay, Melvin, I'm going as fast as I can. I don't want to put Dora into a bad mood by being late for dinner. If I do, she may not like the idea of my going out with you fellas tonight. No kidding. <laughs> I thought you wore the pants in your family. Well, I do. I most certainly do. But, uh... But, uh, Dora doesn't like your playing poker with the boys. Now, look here, Ed. I wouldn't talk if I were you. Whose wife is it that always breaks up our little game? Now, Melvin, Whose I... wife always finds out where we're playing and calls up her hubby and tells him to get the heck home? Oh, I know, but... Whose fault is it that we have to keep changing the place we play so his wife won't find out where he is? Well... <laughs> it's mine, all right. Yeah. But Melvin, she likes to play, too. She can't understand why we won't let her play in our game. Well, didn't you tell her that the boys don't like to play with the juices and trays and one-eyed Jack's wild? <laughs> She says it's more fun that way. <laughs> well, here's your house. I'll pick you up about 7.45. Okay. Oh, uh, by the way, Melvin, uh, what do you tell Dora when you want to go out and play poker? Well, I simply tell her that I'm going to play poker with the boys. <laughs> That's what I tell her. <laughs> oh, you certainly are lucky. I have to tell Isabel I'm going to attend a meeting. Uh, well, the trouble with you, Ed Emerson, is you're henpecked. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. Well, see you later. Okay, uh... <laughs> Is that you, Melvin? Yes, dear. Sorry I'm late. Had a big day at the office. Oh, we're all starving. Uh, Are you ready for dinner, dear? I'll say I am. Uh, Dora, tonight I'm, um... Yes, dear? Well, I, uh... <laughs> uh... Well, I simply have to attend a meeting tonight. <laughs> Oh, Randolph, there's the phone. Will you answer it, dear? Okay. If it's Mrs. Emerson, ask her to come over and keep me company. Okay. Hello? Hello? Is Mr. Foster there, please? This is George Soper. No, he just left a few minutes ago. He had to attend a meeting with Mr. Emerson. Oh. Well, I was supposed to attend that meeting, too, but the place we were to meet has been changed. I wanted to tell him before he left the house. Oh. Well, I'm sorry. He's gone now. Oh, that's a shame, uh, you see, uh, we're very anxious to have this meeting, and uh, we're lacking a quorum. We need your father, Mr. Emerson, very badly. Well, uh, I'll keep trying to reach him. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Who was it, Randolph? Uh, Mr. Soper for father. Says the meeting place has been changed. Oh, that's a shame. Your poor father was so tired, too. It's too bad he didn't know about it before he left the house. Yeah. Well, I've got to go and meet Curly. What are you two youngsters up to? Well, we thought we'd kind of wander over to the Higgins place and... See what Judy and her goofy sorority sisters do with these things. Melvin, this place we're going to is perfect for a nice, quiet poker session. Oh, swell. <laughs> Whose house is it? The old Higgins place. <laughs> you mean the one on Elm Street that's supposed to be haunted? That's the place. Isn't that a pip? Well, yeah, but... Uh... How'd the boys happen to pick that place? Don't you see? No phones, no lights to be seen from the street when we cover up the windows, and no wife could possibly guess where we are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty neat. But uh, how do we get in? Oh, it's a cinch. All we have to do is crawl through a basement window, and we're in. Oh. Say, uh, uh, tell me, Ed, is, is there any truth to this rumor that the place is, well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I don't believe in ghosts, but there are so many stories about the place. Now, they say that every year people hear strange noises in there. No, that's a lot of nonsense. Why, I've been through the place. It's no more haunted than your house. Oh. Well, of course, I'm not scared. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know. Well, here we are. Now, uh, 
Don't make any noise. Just follow me. Okay, I'm right with you. Boy, this place certainly looks uh, dark and everything. Like a tomb. Nothing will interrupt our game tonight. Well, that's swell. <laughs> okay, here's the window. I think if... Uh, that's funny. It's already open. Oh. Well, maybe some of the other boys are here. Yeah, but uh, I didn't see any other cars there. Yeah. Well, maybe the wind blew it open. Mm, could be. Well, let's go in. You go first. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, we uh, should have brought a flashlight. Yeah, I forgot. <clears throat> For Pete's sake. It's so dark in here, I can't see a thing. Yeah, it's all right, fella. Just keep going right ahead there. Stairs are right in front of you. Okay. I... <laughs> oh, darn it. Hit my leg against a garbage can or something. Yeah, you better let me go first. Uh, light a match, will you? Okay. There's the stairs right over there. Come on, Melvin. Uh, you go ahead. I, uh, I'm right behind you. This meeting will now come to order. We will now send the neophyte, Barbara Mason, into the sacred chamber of the Keeper of the Sacred Owl. Uh, Sister Judy. What is it, Sister Mitzi? I think I heard a noise. Oh, Sister Mitzi, it's only the wind. We will now take neophyte Barbara to the sacred chamber of the sacred owl. Follow me. Will the neophyte please enter? All right. Have you got the owl, Mitzi? Yes, it's right here. Put it on the table over there and put your candle behind it. Okay. The neophyte will now kneel before the altar of the sacred owl. Here? Yes, that's right. You will now answer faithfully all the questions you are asked. All right. Are you ready, Mitzi? Yes, I'm ready. Neophyte Barbara, it is reported that on the night of the spring prom, Sister Mary asked you to loan her a pair of stockings, and you said you didn't have any. Is that correct? Yes, but I... Just answer the question and tell the truth. The sacred owl knows all. Ye yes, that's right. I said I didn't have any. And yet, on the night of the prom, you came in a brand new pair of nylons. Is that correct? Yes, but they were my mother's. Oh, owl, is this story true or false? I said, oh, Owl, is this story true or false? Mitzi. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I see. But, but please, Supreme Keeper of the Sacred Owl. Silence. I... We will ask the Sacred Owl what action to take in this matter. Oh, Owl, tell us if this neophyte is guilty of an unsisterly act. <laughs> and tell us, O oh Owl, if we should forgive this unworthy person and accept her into thy select circle. <laughs> the sacred owl is thinking it over. Now, O oh Owl, we have a few more questions to ask you before we decide the fate of this candidate. Tell us, O oh Owl. Are you following me, Melvin? Yes, I'm. I'm right behind you. You keep, keep going. Okay. Only one more flight to go. I can't understand where the others are. They'll probably be along in a few minutes. Yeah, I guess so. Say, what are we whispering for? I don't know. It just seems more natural to whisper in a place like this. I, uh... What's that? What's what? Didn't you hear a noise? I, uh... I don't... There it is again. Listen. Listen, <laughs> let's get out of here. This place really is haunted. Oh, no, Melvin. Oh, Melvin, this is a good one. Now, that's all right. Don't you know what that noise is? No, what? Don't you see? It's some of the fellas trying to scare us. You, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Listen. Listen, I got an idea. Yeah, so have I. Let's get out of here. Oh, no. <laughs> now, listen. Let's have some fun. We'll give them a dose of their own medicine. Let's scare them right back. And now, O oh sacred owl, that the neophyte Barbara has bared her most innermost soul, tell us, O oh owl, do you accept her? <laughs> the owl says she accepts you. Really? Oh, gee, I don't know what to say. Congratulations, Sister Barbara. You've been accepted into the best sorority in the school. Oh, gee, I know, and, and, and I just don't know how to thank you all. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Mitzi, that's enough. And now we'll all go back to the sorority house for the official reception. <laughs> Mitzi, I said that's enough. You can stop hooting now. I, I didn't hoot. 
Wasn't that you? <laughs> no. Wasn't it you? No. Me either. <laughs> oh, jeepers, let's get out of here. It's true, it's true. What's true, Judy? This house, it really is haunted. Friends, when you suffer a spell of acid indigestion, don't make the common mistake of trying to alkalize. The thing to do is to neutralize excess acidity with Tums, for Tums contain no soda or other water-soluble alkalis. Tums are the pleasant, up-to-date relief for acid indigestion. You just slip one or two pleasant-tasting Tums in your mouth, same as you would candy mints, and happy relief is yours fast. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, and a roll of Tums in your pocket when acid indigestion suddenly hits you is worth more than a drugstore full of Tums blocks away. So be wise, do as millions do. Night and day, at home or away, always carry Tums. T-U-M-S, Tums for the tummy. Only 10 cents a roll, all drugstores. And now back to A Date with Judy. Look, Curly, here's Mr. Emerson's car. What's he doing in front of the Higgins house? I have an idea. Of course, I may be doing Father and Mr. Emerson a great injustice, but I don't think so. Well, what's on your mind, Randolph? Well, I was just thinking that it's quite possible that Father and Mr. Emerson had a different kind of meeting in mind. A meeting at a haunted house? What for? Not for a date with a blonde ghost. I figured they came here because it was a nice, quiet place to play poker or something. Well, it could be. Hey, what do you say we investigate? Good idea. You know, this setup has fascinating possibilities with Father and Mr. Emerson in there and Judy and all those goopy girls, too. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. That is, provided they haven't discovered each other yet. That cellar window seems to be open. What do you say we start there and let nature take its course? <laughs> And maybe we oh, can... Judy, I'm so scared. Mitzi, be quiet. Oh, Judy, do you really think this house is haunted? Oh, Mitzi, I don't believe in ghosts. You see, Mitzi, Barbara's right. There aren't any ghosts. But there's somebody else in this house. Oh, Barbara. Barbara, are you deliberately trying to scare us? She doesn't have to. I'm already scared. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, gee, Judy, there is somebody in this house. Did you hear that? Yes, it sounded like it came from downstairs. Quick, let's go into this room. We can hide in here until they go away. Oh, what if they don't go away? Mitzi, don't be so gloomy and pessimistic. C can you see anything, Judy? A little. I think this must have been a bedroom. Look, the window goes out into that roof. It looks like a porch. Do you think we should yell out the window for help? And let whoever it is downstairs know where we are? Don't be a dope. <laughs> oh! Judy, there's that noise again. <laughs> and that's coming from upstairs. Oh, jeepers, we're surrounded. <laughs> Melvin, Melvin, stop holding. <laughs> what? Stop. What's the matter? Melvin, maybe it wasn't the boys making that noise. What do you mean? I just thought there weren't any cars outside. Yeah, that's right. Well, 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 well what do you think it was then? I don't know. Let's investigate a little. You investigate. I had a hard day at the office. <laughs> Melvin Foster, I think you're scared. Oh, me? What nonsense. Well, come on. Look in this room here. Noise seemed to be coming from over here somewhere. Hmm. Doesn't seem to be anyone here. Oh my gosh, look! Look there on the table. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll be done. It's an owl. An owl? Oh. <laughs> well, what do you know? Then that's what was making that noise, like an owl. Maybe. Uh, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Might have been an owl, but not this one. This one's stuck. Do for the love of heaven, let's get out of here. Yeah. Never saw such a darn fool house. Noises all over the place and no one making them. Well, someone must have made them or something. Yeah. Ed, uh, Ed, uh, hmm? you, uh, you don't really believe this place is haunted, do you? <laughs> no. What's that? I don't know. You go down and see what it was and I'll keep a lookout up here. All right. <laughs> Who, me? 
moving. There it goes again. Then let's duck into this other room and think this over. Okay. Oh, look. Look, that window opens onto a roof. Look, it looks like a porch. Maybe we could sneak out onto the porch and then... What's that? <laughs> Amazon, what's that? Scream. They came from the next room. Oh, good heavens. We're surrounded. <laughs> You know, Curly, I think we've just about used up the possibilities of this ash can. Yeah, I guess so. I'd love to see the look in your father's face. <laughs> Me too. You know, father isn't the bravest guy in the world. <laughs> I wonder how Judy and her crowd are taking. You know, what we should have is a nice set of chains. Yeah, that'd be swell. Too bad we didn't bring along a couple of white sheets, too. Say, I can't hear anything at all. What do we do now? Let out a scream and see what happens. No, screams are corny. Let's try uh, moaning. That ought to bring some results. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, what do we moan? Oh, anything. Make a moan. Let me hear how it sounds. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, how's this? Oh, not bad. Try it again and put more grief in it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That ought to bring results. Girls, I think the smart thing to do now is to get out of here Me too, but how? Well, why not let's just open the door and walk downstairs But Judy, the ghosts are still in the house They'll see us Barbara, don't be hysterical I definitely do not believe in ghosts Oh, Mitzi Oh, listen Oh, oh there it goes again Yes only this time it sounds more grief-stricken. Judy. <laughs> Judy, why don't we climb out in the porch roof and get away? It can't be far to the ground. I think it's our only chance. I'd rather break a leg falling from that porch than stay here another minute. Okay, that's what we'll do. Let's go. Now, one at a time. Should we take our black robes off? No, we'll be harder to see this way. All right. You go first, Judy. All right. Barbara, you stay right behind me. Don't worry. I will. <laughs> Let's get out of here. All right, all right. How do you suggest we get out? Well, let's just walk right out that door and go down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> there it goes again. Only this time it sounds more grief-stricken. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's only one thing to do. We've got to go out this window and drop down from the porch to the ground. <laughs> well, anything is better than being caught by that, that thing. Well, come on. You go first and I'll stay behind and, and protect you. All right. But don't stay too far behind. Don't you worry, I won't. What do you think I am, a coward? <laughs> I don't think it's so far to the ground. Well, hurry up. I... <laughs> Melvin, what's the matter? Look, over there. Where? I don't see it. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is it? I don't know. Looks like black ghosts or something sneaking down over the porch. Let, let's, let's yell for help. Shh. Don't be a fool. Want to scare them and let them know where we are? That's right. They may come after us. You know what they are, Emerson. They're... They're zombies. <laughs> I don't think zombies wear black like that. Oh. Look. Look, they're running. Yeah, they're running away from the house, too. Maybe they've decided to leave. I hope they don't move to my house. <laughs> well, may maybe they went out to get some... Some fresh blood or something. Melvin... I think this is our chance to get away. Well, what are we waiting for, then? Come on, let's go. All right. You go first. Hurry up. Yeah, well, wait a minute. What are we hurrying for? The zombies have gone, haven't they? Come on, we can just go downstairs and walk out the front door. Okay. Okay. Keep going. If we ever get out of here safely, I'll never set foot in this place again. Where are you going, Father? Randolph, this is no time to be... <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Father. Hello, Mr. Emerson. Randolph, where did you come from? Oh, Curly and I decided to do a little investigating. What kind of investigating? Haunted house investigating. This place is really fascinating. Where is Curly? Oh, he's around someplace. I think he's upstairs. Did, did, did you hear any noises out there? Noises? What kind of noises? Uh, noises. <laughs> Come on, Randolph, before it's too late. Let's find Curly. We'll get you out of here safely. Don't you worry. Okay. Come on, Curly. Uh, okay, coming. Now, don't make a sound. And above all, don't be scared. 
We'll protect you. Oh, that's swell. Thanks, Father. Now, wait a minute, Melvin. Shh, don't talk so loud. That noise we just heard, it came from right above us in the hall, didn't it? Yes, it did. Let's get out of here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Foster. Oh, are we a couple of adults? Huh? Curly's right above us in the hall, too. What, Curly? Randall, if you and Curly have deliberately tried to scare Mr. Emerson and me out of our wits... Oh, we I... didn't come here for that reason, Father. Oh, Foster, when I think of your face, I could die laughing. No, oh. oh, zombies! <laughs> You're a zombie! <laughs> oh, Emerson, did you fall for that one? <laughs> and maybe you didn't fall for well, it. Well, you yeah, fell yeah. for it all of the night. <laughs> Where did the zombies come from? Oh, all right. That was very funny. I'm not even mad at you. When I think of the look on Emerson's face, a gee, where did the zombies come from? Hi. Uh, Curly, did you see any zombies? No, did you? Yeah. You mean that wasn't you running across the lawn? It... No. No, it couldn't have been. There were a lot of them. All dressed in black. Eight feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> With fire spitting out of their eyes. <laughs> Holy smoke. And smoke, too, yes. <laughs> then it couldn't have been Judy and her gang. Uh, Randolph, how could it be Judy and her gang? Well, they were here tonight, too. What? They were having a sorority initiation, and Curly and I did a wonderful job of scaring them. Scaring them? <laughs> Randolph, just wait until we get home. You just wait, young man. Excuse I'll... me, Father, he... but... Who? Uh, I... but he... What are you and Mr. Emerson doing here tonight? Oh, uh, me and Mr. Well, uh, uh, he... Uh, and maybe I, uh, when we get home, I hadn't better mention to Mother that I saw you here. Hmm? Well, yes. I mean, no, no. Uh, shall we say, um, five dollars? <laughs> Two fifty, Scrooge. Sold. This is absolutely blackmail. Robert. Oh, come now, Father. You're getting a bargain. Huh? Yeah. You would have lost much more than this at your, um, shall we say, meeting. Oh. <laughs> we'll return to the Fosters in a moment. But in the meantime, friends, the cinch. You won't feel right tomorrow if you don't sleep right tonight. So just to make sure that acid indigestion doesn't keep you awake tonight, slip one or two tums in your mouth before you slip into bed. And, folks... If acid indigestion is all that stands between you and a sound snooze, you've got a sure ticket to dreamland. Millions of restless sleepers have found this out, and nothing, just nothing, could ever induce them to be without a roll of Tums. Night and day, at home or away, they always carry Tums. A good plan for you yourself to follow. Get a roll of Tums this very night. Only ten cents a roll, all drugstores. Be sure to get Tums, T-U-M-S, Tums for the tummy. There are many imitations, but no substitute for Tums. Now, here are the Fosters again. Now, Randolph, remember, not a word about tonight. Don't worry, Father. Randolph Foster never betrays a parent. Oh, Father, I'm so glad you're home. I've had the most terrible experience. I've just been frightened by a ghost. Anyone we know? <laughs> Judy, don't be silly. There's no such thing as a ghost. No, there are zombies, though. Randolph! <laughs> uh, uh, Judy, uh, uh, where's your mother? Mother went out, and I've just been sitting here all by myself waiting for someone to come home. Oh, Father, I'm so glad to see you. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I'm glad to see you, too. Uh, where'd your mother go? I don't know, Father. Here's a note she left for you. Oh, let me see. Uh, dear Melvin, poor Mr. Soper called again and again to see if you'd come back and was finally so desperate that Mrs. Emerson and I offered to make a quorum for him. The meeting is now going to be at his house. <laughs> Love, Dora. P.S. I hope I hold good cards. <laughs> oh, for the love of heaven. <laughs> David Judy is written by Elaine Leslie and stars Louise Erickson and Dix Davis. Mr. and Mrs. Foster were played by John Brown and Myra Marsh. Mitzi by Sandra Gould. Music was composed by Paul Sartell and conducted by Constantine Bakalinikov. The program was produced and directed by Helen Mack. And this is Doug Gourley inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday at this same time to keep your date with Judy. And remember, night and day, at home or away, always carry Tums, T-U-M-S. 
Tonight's date with Judy will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is the National Broadcasting Company. KFI, Los Angeles. A date with Judy from November 6, 1945, with the usual cast of characters, including Tommy Cook as Curly. Here's another spooky, scary program not done on Halloween. It is Escape. It is Conqueror's Isle. And this one is from March 5th, 1949. Fed up with the everyday grind? Tired out by the dull routine? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape. Transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are flying over the lonely wastes of the Pacific, lost, torn by the fury of a typhoon, your gas running out. And ahead of you is an adventure so strange, so terrifying, that your mind cannot accept it. Today we escape from reality with the tale of a Navy flyer who vanished from the face of the earth into a new world of the future, as Nelson Bond told it in his story, Conqueror's Isle. You've got to believe this. It sounds utterly impossible, I know. It sounds, it sounds crazy. That's why I'm here, sir. But it's the truth, and you've got to believe it. You've got to, sir. You've got to. That's the way he started, almost as soon as I'd walked into his hospital room. He wasn't violent, you understand. There was no need for restraint. But his every action, every gesture was evidence of a psychotic condition. To be extremely charitable, battle fatigue. Well, anyway, it was an odd case. I was already acquainted, of course, with the history. Young man, graduate of, of Annapolis, lieutenant in the fleet air arm... Excellent records, citations for bravery, and so forth. And toward the end of the war, he and his bomber crew disappeared over the South China Sea. Search failed to turn them up. They were, of course, presumed to be lost. And then a month ago, almost four years later, Lieutenant Brady was found by a Brazilian freighter drifting helplessly and nearly dead in a tiny life raft from the airplane. Curiously enough, his position was not far from that last reported by his radio operator four years ago. But when he was asked where he'd been, he gave a story so fantastic, so utterly unbelievable... It's the truth, and you've got to believe it. You've got to, sir. At ease, Lieutenant. I'm sorry, sir. I'm here to consult with you as a physician, not order your cure as a superior officer. Now, suppose we ignore the braid while you tell me about it. Oh, thank you, Doctor. Where should I begin? Well, it's your story. You know what it is you want me to believe... The trouble began, I understand, on your last bombing mission. Yes, that's right. That's when my troubles began. The thing's been going on for much longer than that. Years, certainly. Decades, perhaps. Somebody has got to do something, Doctor. Time is racing by, and with every passing day, they grow stronger. I've got to make people understand. Lieutenant. Now, suppose you start at the beginning with that unfortunate last flight. Yes, sir. I'm sorry I got a little... Well... Then it, it was this way. We'd finished our mission and we were starting for home. We were over the South China Sea between the Philippines and Indochina, roughly off Palawan. And everything was peaches and cream. The Arden Alice was purring along like a dream and I was sitting there chewing up a pack of lifesavers, thinking how good that can of cold beer was going to taste when the intercom crackled in my ear. Lieutenant Jep Freighter, 10 o'clock. Huh? Yeah, you're right. Looks like a single tramp beating up the coast. You still got a Bertha? Yes, sir. Okay, maybe we can have some fun. Red 4 to Mac. Red 4 to Mac. Go ahead, Red 4. Jap Freighter, 10 o'clock. Check. We've still got a Bertha. How about it? Why not? It's your party. Go ahead and good luck. Roger and out. It was as easy as hitting a sitting duck. The long dive, the bomb release pull out a dull concussion. We laid it down her aft stack, a 
and that Jap ship went up like a Roman candle. Hey, hey, nice going, Lieutenant. Right on the button. That's one Jap we won't have to worry about anymore. Lieutenant, we're hit. Huh? A piece of that Jap must have come up and hit us. We're spraying gas all over the Pacific out of the left wing tank. Yeah, I see it now. Well, guys, get ready for a bath. We'll never make it back. I object, and he's Saturday night. Never mind, I always did want to take a ride on one of them little rubber boats. No need to worry. The Navy takes care of its own. They'll be out to get us before we have a chance to get thirsty. Red four to Mac. Red four to Mac. Nice going, fella. Yeah, only it was a two-way deal. We're hit, Mac, losing gas fast. Think you can make it? Nope. It's a salt bath for us. Sorry, fellas. Keep your radio on. Give your last position to base before you ditch it. They'll have a rescue party out in an hour. Welcome. See you tonight. Good luck. Over. Roger out. You see, there was nothing to it. It happened every day. With ships all over the Pacific, they'd have a destroyer sitting there when we came down. But a half hour later, when our gas was down to a few cupfuls and the rest of the squadron was long out of sight, an amazing thing happened. One minute the sky was clear and cloudless... The next minute, we were surrounded by thunderheads, and a typhoon burst on us. Holy cow, Lieutenant. Where'd this come from? I don't know, but it's a Lulu. Fasten your safety belts. There's no telling what this will do to us. It was a granddaddy typhoon, all right, but it lasted only a few minutes. Then we got out of it as miraculously as we'd come into it. And wonder of wonders, we were directly over a small island. Well, what do you know? Take a look at that sight for sore eyes. Man, oh man, it looks mighty fine to me. Uh, what island is it, Lieutenant? I don't know. I don't recognize it. And after the way we got tossed around back there, I haven't any idea of our position. We could be anywhere from the coast of China to the Philippines. Who knows? Who cares? It's dry land. Yeah, just in time. We're out of gas. Hey, Jack. Yeah? See if you can get a fix and radio our position. We're going down. We landed safely on a little strip of sandy beach. And only after we'd climbed out of the plane did we begin to have any misgivings. What do you think, Skipper? Well, it doesn't look like much, but... I don't see anybody. Not a sign of life. I got a good look from topside coming down. There weren't any houses, nothing. Still, you can't tell. It could be Japs. Or worse. Headhunters, maybe. We'd better stick together, stay close to the plane. Shouldn't be more than a few hours. Oh, Hello. yeah, except... Hey, what the... Hold it. Hello there. Uh, a white man. Hey, what oh, is brother. this? Keep your eyes open. It might be a trap. But he's a white man. He speaks English and he's not armed. No, I don't see any guns. Just the same. Watch it. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. We saw you land, so I hurried out to see if I could be of any assistance. Uh, may I introduce myself? I'm Dr. Grove. I'm Lieutenant Brady, and these are my men. Radio man Kavanaugh... My gunner, Sergeant Keller. Hi, Hi It's Dr. pleasure, Cole. gentlemen, pleasure. Are any of you in need of medical assistance? No, thanks. We're all okay. Just a little surprised to find anyone here. Well, yes, of course. Uh, that can be explained to you later. But uh, right now, you'll be wanting food and rest. Hey, now, a little chow wouldn't be bad. But first, <laughs> we, we have to get in touch with our base. Give them our position. Oh, of course. But uh, such things take some time in these primitive areas. Oh, we have a radio on the plane. Did have, Skipper. Well, I was uh, just starting to tell you. It went out just before we sighted the island. Must have got wanged up in that storm. Well, can you fix it? I suppose so, if it's nothing serious. I'll uh, tell you better after I have a chance to look at it. Of course. But in the meantime, I hope you'll accept our humble hospitality. We don't have the pleasure of entertaining new guests here often. It'll be good to chat with you all. Uh, if you'll follow me, please. How about it, Skipper? Sure. Why not? After the last half hour, we could all use a little relaxation. Very good. Uh, right this way, please. I should have smelled it right then. There was something strange about the whole thing. There were a lot of questions in my mind, but somehow I didn't ask them. Instead, we walked down the jungle path behind Dr. Grove like lambs to the slaughter. Tom Geller must have had the same misgivings because he whispered in my ear. I don't get it, Skipper. Don't get what, Tom? Where do these guys come from? Where do they hang out? When we were coming in, I made sure to take a good look at this island. There were no houses, no nothing. I don't know. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Yeah. Hey, stop it. Oh, holy cow, will you look at that? Dr. Grove stopped in front of what looked like a big rock. And then we saw it was expertly camouflaged cement with a sliding door. 
Ah, here we are, gentlemen. If you'll be good enough to enter. Enter what? That? <laughs> Don't be alarmed. It's only an elevator. An elevator? In this jungle? So what kind of monkey business is this, anyhow? Do you mean to tell me you live underground? My dear lieutenant, I'll be glad to explain everything later. It's all very simple. But uh, first, I must insist that you oh, enter the shaft. so now you're insisting. And suppose we prefer not to step into your elevator. Then what? Then I should be compelled, uh, most regretfully, to enforce my request. Guess again, pal. We happen to be armed. A gun. Three guns. See, that's one detail you overlooked. I overlooked no details, Lieutenant. Uh, would you be kind enough to fire your gun? Watch yourself, Skip. It's a trick. He wants you to suit. The sound will bring help. Wrong, my friend. I need no help. Very well. If you won't accept my invitation... Wait a minute. Keep your hand out of your pocket. Perhaps you would care to stop me, Lieutenant? Okay, if you asked for it. What the... Hey, Lieutenant! <laughs> Try again, Lieutenant, but your gun will not work Skip on this right. Mine will work either. And now, perhaps you'll be kind enough to step into the shaft? Look, I don't know what's going on here, but I don't want any part of it. Yeah, neither do I. Come, Come on, on, gang. Let's get out of here. Uh, Just you a minute. It. I'm sorry. You forced me to use harsh measures. Uh, believe me, I do so reluctantly. What's that you've got there? Just a small tube, but a very potent weapon, I must warn you. Yeah? Well, then you better use it fast. I made a desperate lunge for him, and suddenly... Tiny shaft of light flicked out from the tube and touched me. And I stopped, frozen in my tracks, conscious, my eyes open, seeing him, hearing him. But try as I would, I could not move a muscle. I was as if turned to stone. <laughs> just a moment, we will return to escape. But first, both Gangbusters and The Adventures of Philip Marlowe are regular Saturday night features on most of these same CBS network stations. So be listening tonight when they bring you an exceptional, fast-moving, gripping hour of mystery. And now with our stars, David Ellis, Ted Von Eltz, and Bill Johnstone, we return to the second act of Escape and Conqueror's Isle. I was paralyzed, Dr. Gorham. Completely paralyzed, as if turned to stone. I had all my senses. I could, I could see and hear and feel, but I couldn't move a muscle, not even turn my eyes. And you say this happened because of some kind of light beam? Well, not exactly a beam, sir. Perhaps not exactly light. Just a kind of... kind of radiance. A gas, perhaps? No, because it had no form, no odor, no taste. It was like becoming enmeshed in a web of moonbeams. I see. And its only effect on you was to immobilize you. Yes, that's right. It didn't burn or sting or cause pain in any way. I simply couldn't move. It was like a hypnotic trance. And then? Well, then some of Dr. Grove's companions came out of the elevator. They picked us up and carried us. I could feel their hands very softly, as if they were far away from my body, as if there were layers of rubber between them and me. And I could hear Dr. Grove talking. Place him in the shaft. Gently, please. I could see him bending over me into my line of vision. I'm sorry, Lieutenant. I sincerely regret having to inconvenience you. But, you see, just as we have the means of hampering your primitive mechanical devices, your guns, your radio, so do we have the means to enforce our requests. Requests which are, I assure you, only reasonable and necessary under the circumstances. Very well. Take us down. My head was reeling, and fear was growing in me. Who were these men to talk of radio as a primitive device? What kind of men were they? Where were they taking the three of us, and what were they going to do with us? As if he'd read my thoughts, Dr. Grove leaned over me again. There's no need to be alarmed, Lieutenant. No need at all. All right. Gently. Carry them gently. Well, Fraser... I'm sorry, Freighter Dorden. It was necessary. They would not come willingly. I see. Yeah, a few of them do. I'll put them in the sleeping chambers until they recover. 
And be gentle. They are so frightened, poor things. Poor things. Poor things, he'd said. Not as if we were human beings at all, but animals. Some weak, dumb animals with whom they must be gentle. It was then that I began to know real fear. We were in a great underground city, but I could see little of it. Nothing except what passed in front of my rigid eyes. Then I was carried into a room, deposited upon a soft couch, and left alone. I could not close my eyes, but gradually the light began to fade, to melt away. I was in deep blackness, and I slept. I don't know whether the return of the light awakened me, or whether it came on automatically when I woke up. But the room was bright, and I could move again. I jumped up, tried the door. But of course it was locked, and there was no other way of escape. The room was a small cell with metal walls and ceiling, a kind of metal I'd never seen before. There was a cot, a desk, and a chair, and nothing else. But the really amazing thing was the light. I searched the entire room carefully, but there were no fixtures, no indirect lighting arrangements. The light came out of the walls, evenly filling the room, casting no shadows. Suddenly, I wanted to see Kavanaugh and Geller. I yelled, I yelled at the top of my lungs. But there was almost no sound, no echo from the walls. They simply absorbed the sound into utter silence. Then as I stood there, with fear cold in my stomach, I heard a faint sound, a footstep behind me. I whirled around just in time to see Dr. Grove stepping through the wall. You, uh, you said through the wall, Lieutenant. Of course, you mean through the door. Through the wall. Through the wall, sir. The door was in front of me. But Dr. Grove stepped into my cell through the solid metal wall. You realize that what you're saying is impossible. To us, it is. To them, nothing is impossible. Nothing. That's why we must act and act now before it's too late. You must believe me, sir. This is man's last chance. I'll do my best. Uh, perhaps you'd better continue. Now, uh, this Dr. Grove stepped through the wall. Yes. As I'll tell the, the rest as quickly as I can, I can see that you don't believe me. But someone must, somewhere, sometime, someone must. Lieutenant. Well, as I said, Dr. Grove stepped into my cell through the wall. Suddenly, my panic ended. I looked at him now with awe. And we talked, not as man to man, but as man to a lesser creature. Me. You must not be frightened, Lieutenant. You do not understand how I pass through a wall which to you seems solid. And not understanding, you feared. But I... Yet there is nothing supernatural or fearful about what I did. Any of us can do it at will. You see, there is no such thing as a solid in this world of relativity. We know that there is plenty of room for the molecules of our bodies to pass between the molecules of those walls. We simply make a necessary mental adjustment and walk where we will. It is an ability as basic to us as breathing to a person like you. What kind of men are you? You have been educated, uh, studied Darwin, you know the facts of evolution. You know how man has progressed through various stages from the primitive savagery of the Neanderthal man. Well, yes, Obviously, but... this process can and will continue. To suppose that the evolution of man is complete with you is a mistake of conceit. You mean you are the next stage? Exactly. You have heard of the process of mutation, perhaps. How suddenly a white rose is produced of a family of red roses and from then on produces only white descendants? Yes. So have we been evolved as mutants, infinitely superior to our parents and our fellow men, knowing by instinct right from birth what you must study years to learn, your most difficult physics and mathematics, our ABCs, our studies far beyond your understanding. Are there many of you? Yes. You see, the process has been going on for many years. Hundreds, thousands more come to us every year from all over the world, drawn here by telepathic message, where we have isolation to study, learn, build, prepare ourselves. Prepare? 
Prepare for what? For the task ahead. Obviously, when we are ready, when we are numerous enough to fill all the necessary positions, our superior intelligence must shape a new world. Take over the world? Obviously. And you will destroy man? How little you understand us. Do you destroy the animals of the field because they are not your intellectual peers? Our obligation is to keep and protect you, to act as your friendly guardians in a world which will be strange to you and, and, and frightening, as my walking through the wall was frightening to you. I see. Yes, I see. Then what is your plan? Rather say, nature's plan. And the answer to that lies in history. What became of the anthropoids, the cavemen? They died out. Civilization passed them by. They fell before the onrush of higher forms of life. Even so. Even so. But uh, I give you our pledge that we will be kind. We will be kind. And then he took me out into that great underground city through its corridors and great halls and laboratories and shops, took me among the thousands of his fellow men. There I saw marvels of which I could talk for hours. There were... But they would be beyond your comprehension as they were beyond mine. You wouldn't believe me, and so I won't bother to tell you. Then I met others like us, some 200 captive cattle, people who had stumbled onto this island as I had. There were famous names among them, a famous author whose ship disappeared in the Pacific years ago, a big game hunter, a famous aviatrix for whom a dozen fleets had sought in vain. All of us, prisoners. We were treated with great kindness, made comfortable, relatively happy. We were their pets, you see. Their dumb animal pets. For over three years I stayed there. After a while, I ceased to struggle, even in my mind. I was defeated. And so I succumbed to the peaceful, bucolic existence that was my fate. At least, at least that's what I thought. Then came that last day. Dr. Grove had made me his special pet. I was allowed to follow him about it at work, to talk to him at length. And on this day, he confided in me even more than usual. Well, Lieutenant... It has been a pleasant day. Yes, Doctor. Am I to go now? Not for a moment. Ah, yes, I shall miss having you with me when I'm gone. Gone? You're going away, sir? Yes, very soon. But where? Out. Out into the world, where you once lived. But why? Oh, there are many, very many of us there already. In strategic places, of course. An important politician here, an industrial magnate there, a famous author whose words are gospel to his readers. I will have my place, an important one. But I didn't know. You didn't tell me that it's already begun. Oh, yes, definitely. The hour is close at hand. And then, all of us, the whole world. Lieutenant, you know us now. You know that we will be kind. Kind. Yes, kind. Suddenly all the anger that was in me welled up. I didn't want to be a dumb animal, a pet for some superior being to be kind to. I didn't want that for my loved ones, my friends, my fellow men. That night at dinner when they fed the prisoners in a big communal hall, I got a chance to talk to Kavanaugh, my old radio man. He listened and then shrugged hopelessly. They'll succeed, Joe. You know that. No. Not if the world could be warned. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't make any difference. Besides, how could they be warned? If somebody could get away from here. Escape? Oh, that's impossible. I know. That's what I thought. But listen, I've got an idea. There's one chink in their invincibility. What? Their gentleness, their kindness. They can't bear to hurt anyone. None of their weapons kill, but only, only paralyze temporarily. And they simply cannot conceive of treachery. What are you driving at? This. I'm going to play on Dr. Grove's liking for me, his kindness. 
and I'm going to trick him. How? Tomorrow, I'll ask him to take me up above, back to the plane, to... to get pictures of my father and sister. Tell him I'm lonesome, suffering. He'll do it. I'm sure he will. It's very kind of you, Dr. Grove, to do this for me. Oh, not at all, Lieutenant. I understand your feeling. With you leaving, I'd have no one, no one close. The pictures will make me feel a lot better. Well, I only hope they're still here. The plane is partially demolished by the weather, as you can see. Oh, they'll be there. They were in the map compartment. They'd be out of the weather. Well, here we are. Dr. And... Grove, look, uh, over there. Where are Sorry, Doctor, but I had to do it. I hope I didn't kill him. He had been kind, but I hit him hard. Then I broke out a life raft from the rotting plane. I was almost afraid to look at it, but it was okay, even complete with supplies, four years old. I ripped the valve and threw it into the water. In five minutes, I was out beyond the breakers. I don't know how many days or weeks it was before they picked me up, but it was a long time. And I was more dead than alive. Yes, yes, Lieutenant, you were in bad shape. It was a horrible experience. But you see, it doesn't matter about me. It's the others that... You don't believe me either, do you? Well, Lieutenant, it's, it's been a pleasure to listen to your story. I, I'll make a report to my superiors. Please be patient and try not to worry. <laughs> try not to worry. Good day, Lieutenant. Get out. Get out, sir. Oh, there, Commander Gorham. You've talked to him? What's the verdict? A clear case of persecution mania. An amazing form. I've never heard a tale more complete and logical, yes, but I... Yes, I know what you mean. Well, do what you can for him. I'm afraid he's going to be here for a long time. Perhaps for as long as he lives. Turned loose, he might be dangerous. That's too bad. Nice boy, too. Floating for four weeks on a life raft, and heaven knows what before that. It sure does things to a man. Well, Doctor, how about lunch? No, no, thanks. I've got to run along. I have to turn in my report and recommendation on this case. Oh, of course. Well, I'll see you later. I watched the man disappear down the hall. I stood there for a moment lost in thought, seeing the face of that boy in there. It was hard to know how best to be kind to a boy like that, but I roused myself. I had much to do. So much. And if I went down through the lobby of the hospital, some fool would surely delay me and get me into a long-winded discussion, and I didn't feel a bit like talking. I wanted to get out of this place and forward my report, my report that this Brady case was closed, that there'd be no more trouble from this source. My car was just outside on the street, there was no one in sight in the corridor. So I turned and... quietly walked through the wall. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented transcribed Conqueror's Isle by Nelson Bond, adapted for radio by John Dunkel. Starred as Lieutenant Brady was David Ellis, as Dr. Gorham, Ted Von Eltz, as Dr. Grove, Bill Johnstone. Featured players were Sam Edwards and Dick Benedict. The special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Be sure and be with us again next week at this same time, when we will bring you another great story of mystery and intrigue by one of the world's outstanding authors of High Adventure as CBS again presents Escape! Ronnie and Benita are two names that are as familiar to Jack Benny fans as Mary, Phil, Rochester, Dennis, and Don. And since Jack Benny has received thousands of letters asking that the Ronald Coleman's be brought back soon, he's happy to present them as special guests on his program this Sunday. Hear the Jack Benny program on these same CBS stations tomorrow night.
This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. March 5th, 1949, Conqueror's Isle from Escape. Hope you enjoyed the Halloween edition of Same Time, Same Station. Next week, Howard McNear, Part 2. Join us then on Same Time, Same Station.